Episode 71 of the OpVac cast, and this is a very special time of year for us, most notably because it is my favorite time of year, and it's the time of year where the OV crew chooses a foreign horror film director to subject Sean Glynis to, and it's, it's always beautiful. It's always beautiful. We're always trying to expand Sean's horizons. So I'm Steve Cuff, and, and joining me, of course, we have Sean Glynis here today. Hello, Steve. Hello, Sean. How has how your horror experience been thus far? Uh, you know, we had we had a couple good runs, a couple good years, and we we had this year. Uh, and we'll get into it. But <laughs> I, I have some questions. But we can introduce everyone else first. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and you should have some questions. Most notably, why are we your friends? How did we get to this point? What's going on? Uh, Adam Myros is here. Hi. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming we, we chose another uh, legendary <laughs> horror filmmaker, right? Like Mario Bava, uh, Michelle Suave, perhaps? Uh, yeah. 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 yeah of course. Went, right? Of course. We, yeah. chose, we chose someone very prestigious. Uh, and, and you know what? Because this is another European horror director... We brought uh, Optimism Vaccine European correspondent, Jack Eason. Hey, what's going on, Steve? This is truly a, a prestigious director. Uh, you may know him best from directing a film called The Leopard. Oh. <laughs> which, he which he directed in 1995. Yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's a Criterion Collection one, right? Hope hope that doesn't give away too much for film fans out there who are ready to dive uh, into discussion on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but it could be a Criterion one. I heard they did it in, like, what is it? Is it one take? Is that a one take movie? No cuts? Something like that? <laughs> oh, I'd say there was there were a lot of cutting and a lot of, a lot of pumping and grinding. <laughs> uh... So, oh yeah, my God. that's uh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's like my my favorite uh, pornographic film from the '90s, Andre Rublev. So to give a little history, <laughs> a couple years ago we did uh, a two-part series on David Cronenberg because I had not seen most of his horror stuff, right? And then we we went through mm -hmm. eight Cronenberg uh, movies. Very fruitful experience I've cherished ever since. Uh, has done a lot for me. Next year, we did um, uh, four Cronenbergs and four... No, sorry. Four Carpenters and four... Argentos. Obviously, obviously one that has really stuck with me. Um, Here's your treasured last. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I understood. And then this year, uh, I throw out some options. You know, I was thinking, you know, maybe some Universal Monsters. Maybe Bava... Uh, I did get one in, which will be the next episode, but you guys went with uh, Joe D'Amato, uh, a filmmaker yeah. I was not familiar with, so I who, said, let's who go. did go I, with I'm this? sure that was Steve. I, I'm, okay, so here's the thing. I am entirely sure that this is my fault, 
but I'm not sure how we got here because <laughs> I distinctly remember talking about doing Mario Bava this year for like months. Like this is like back in like May when we were like, oh yeah, Bava in October for sure. And then somehow we ended up doing this, and I don't know how it happened. I think it's because I thought it was funny, and Sean didn't know any better, and then you guys just kind of went with it, and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I think my like dislike of, of Roland is, uh, led me to jokingly suggest Jess Franco, and then from there you suggested Joe D'Amato, and I was like, fuck it. I love Joe D'Amato. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's really do it. You love Joe D'Amato? Yeah, bring this is gonna I be do. It. He's awesome. This is going to be interesting. Dude, bring it on home uh, for I Uncle mean, Joe. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he necessarily thrives in the horror genre. I. I like more of his uh, porn sandals. You're, you're more <laughs> fan of, of the I aforementioned. You porn, yeah. <laughs> you're more fan of his aforementioned 1995, cl- 1995 classic Paprika, the last Italian whore. <laughs> uh, as with all Italian horror directors, I'm sure he was putting out some great fucking work in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he it, has a film called Passion in Venice, which is also kind of like a Visconti. Visconti at death in Venice, and he, he ramped it up, just like I'm sure his leopard is probably a heck of a lot more uh, action than, than Visconti's slow, boring one about war and history. Uh, 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 <laughs> Myros, you, you uh, bring up a question. Um, 90s horror. I know that there are classics. You know, there's Candyman, there's Silence of the Lambs, but... Uh, uh, were there any auteurs that were really grinding out strong work like Carpenter was in the 80s or or Cronenberg was in the 80s? Hard no. no. <laughs> yeah, hard no Why? on that. Why? I mean, was, there was Wes Craven pretty much defined 90s horror with New Nightmare, but oh, I, I guess give him credit Scream, for Scream. Yeah. yeah, but New Nightmare should get all the plaudits and Scream sucks. We have Ooh, this, this discussion. Yeah, we've had this. Hot take. Uh, yeah. Uh, why is that? Just it was so the '80s was just such a sort of looming, intimidating period. It is an interesting question. I'd say I think that there obviously was some sort of shift in, in direction. Uh, you see a guy like and a lot of these old masters. I mean, the Italians. It makes sense. I mean, the Italian film industry collapsed horribly and uh, so they were all suddenly making movies for like ten dollars uh but yeah i i'm not sure about what the hell happened with american horror you see stuff like carpenter it's like as soon as i think there was a clock strikes midnight <laughs> on 1990 he turns into a fucking pumpkin i don't know what yeah <laughs> I, I, think I think it was, it was, it was a, a lot of in, different things yeah go ahead jack yeah there was a shift in distribution methods too i think there was more of a move towards television and cable was coming onto the rise and i think I don't know. I think just the industry shifted. The the mid tier, low to mid tier film industry was kind of gutted a lot. Like I think sci fi and stuff really kind of fell in the same period. Yeah, uh, you. I, I think Michel Suave, the aforementioned, uh, he's sort of uh, Argento's protege, and his a lot of his stuff is like hovering around that 89, 90 area, but uh, for my money, his Cemetery Man is probably the best horror movie in the 90s, and he has two post-1990 films that are pretty decent, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, he doesn't have a huge body of work, because again, there was no industry for him to work in, he, he became like a, a TV director, yeah. and uh, 
just kind of went away. But the stuff he did put out never fell off a cliff. It was, See, it was not, very good not in like, the 90s. Not like Joe D'Amato, who was busy making films like 120 Days of Anal. <laughs> well, yeah. D'Amato was probably not too dependent on the state <laughs> of the film industry. <laughs> He's I just doing his own fucking thing. That's good. I mean, very much a fucking thing. So who is you know, people Joe always said for the uninitiated. Well, okay. Well, for, first of all, I just want to say people. People always said, you know, you can never really make a sequel to Sallow. And Joe D'Amato said, "Watch me." <laughs> uh, who? It's like I could make twelve. Yeah. <laughs> who is Joe D'Amato? That's a, that's a great question, Sean. I'm glad you asked. Joe D'Amato actually he came up the way a, a lot of these Italian horror directors came up. And uh, there was this big boom in the Italian film industry and uh, a lot of government-funded work. And in the 1950s, a lot of Italian directors were making westerns. And Mario Bava took on a number of uh, protégés. So if you look at guys like, uh, obviously, like Dario Argento, uh, Fulci, and guys like Joe D'Amato, they all sort of came up doing work for Bava in, in one way or another. And then they, they decided, 1960s, 1970s, to break out and start doing their own thing because the Italian film industry was very profitable. It was easy to get funding, and it was easy to turn a quick profit on uh, horror films, slashers, as they were becoming more and more popular. Now, some of these directors, you got a guy like Dario Argento, who seems like a very like artist-first type of director. You know, He really thinks about the things that he's making. You have a guy like Fulci, who... Uh, clearly had the almighty dollar at the top of his mind, but at the same time, there's a certain level of artistry to what he's doing, and you could tell that at the end of the day, even when he was making a lot of trash, there were some films where you're like, oh, wow, Fulci like, really genuinely cared about what he was doing. And then there was a guy like Joe D'Amato where you watch his work, and then you also listen to him talk about his work, and you're like, oh, Joe D'Amato really wanted to make money. <laughs> and how do you make money in the Italian film industry? Well... Uh, you know, these slashers were very profitable, and you had a guy like Fulci who had established himself as the godfather of gore, and, uh, you know, and at the same time, you had a lot of erotic films, a lot of softcore from guys like Jez Franco and others uh, that were also popular. So Joe D'Amato said, you know, if I can mix the absolute goriest horror shit with the absolute sleaziest porn shit, I should be able to make a gazillion dollars. <laughs> and that was that was basically Joe D'Amato. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> D- and did he succeed? Is he a millionaire? Well, I- <laughs> yeah, actually, Joe D'Amato made well, a lot of money. Well, he's logged dead. But yeah, it, it's yeah, funny, sure though, because well. if, if you look at how much money his movies made, uh, especially during the heyday of the Italian film industry, the, uh, like... The less enjoyable they are, the more money they made. So, for instance, I think the first film we're going to discuss, it's probably the best thing that we watch for this podcast. It's called Beyond the Darkness. And uh, Beyond the Darkness, compared to a lot of Joe D'Amato's films, was kind of a flop. And for my money, it's probably his best movie. But uh, another movie that we're going to talk about, which falls squarely into the porn category... (laughs) He cleaned up on that one, so you know, <laughs> it's it's hard to tell. So really. he was probably but, uh, he, he probably w- uh, was a benefactor <laughs> of the VHS era. Yes, big time, uh, Joe. Especially, and, and you could say this about any of the the 
big time Italian horror directors. They, I mean, they made a lot of money in the cinema and on you know uh, international distribution. So showing their stuff in grindhouse theaters in, in New York and Los Angeles and things like that. But uh, they really established their legacy and kind of made their long term money in the VHS market. Uh, although their films, specifically in Europe but also in America, were heavily edited. Uh, and, and fortunately, we were, we were able to get uncut versions of them now, but that, that wasn't always the case. But still, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think getting banned was, was like the, the prospect of getting banned or having your film edited was like the best thing. I, to a certain degree, I think some of D'Amato's best known films, and we're going to discuss a few of them, are probably best remembered specifically because they hit the video nasty list in the UK yeah. at a time of really reactionary censorship. There's a good chance no one would really even have noticed the films if they didn't get banned. What a shame. Because they were amidst so many other films. So yes, thank you, Britain, uh, for your, <laughs> your excellent yeah. contribution. So I just want to say shout out to Margaret Thatcher. You're the real MVP tonight, baby. <laughs> uh, I just want to I, I want to go down and dirty on you, Joe D'Amato, porno Holocaust style. So, uh, yo, I'll dig you up, girl, next time I'm down there. I hope Mary Whitehouse was, was buried with a copy of fucking Absurd or whatever. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I, the video nasties, was, and, th- and that was, I think, my original exposure to Joe D'Amato is you start going through these Italian directors and you're going through this video nasties list and uh, that's sort of how you get to Joe D'Amato because it's not like I'd be like, oh, man, can't wait to see, you know, 1997's Nero Orgy of Fire or... Um, <laughs> anal strippers exposed. That's X dash P O S E D. Speak for yourself, uh, Steve. <laughs> yeah, both from '97. If you're interested, uh, you know it's it's, it's good stuff. Uh, and, what was the, you know, wait, what see, was the title? I came to him through like this. Which wait, which one? Are you are you are you uh, pirate banging these right now? <laughs> anal strippers exposed <laughs> and uh, finally Nero fi- orgy of fire. It's so frustrating when anal, anal strippers aren't exposed. Yeah, he did. He did a little Sodom and Gomorrah number that year too. He had a real like biblical like streak going too. He had Samson in Amazon's land. I wonder what that's about. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of good stuff. He also well, that was, a lot of like free shipping uh, and stuff. Yeah. Well, then then he moved he moved on to you know more modern day stuff like Cop Sucker. Yeah, Cop Sucker is a, is a good one. Cop Sucker too. Uh, he's he's got another one called House of Anal Perversions. That sounds fun, you know, putting stuff in butts. What is it? I'm I'm interested in Goya and the Naked Maja. Is that a, a pornography film starring Goya? Because uh, that that's an interesting subject. The, the makers of uh, Hispanic fruit juice, Goya. <laughs> no, it's a fucking painter. I'm still I'm still confused why IMDb lists Calamity Jane two coming out prior to Calamity Jane. That seemed like a daring release strategy. Yeah. That's that's another good one. Uh, he he had one in '96 called Lunch Party. Love a good lunch party. You know, I'm sure it's a very very wholesome film. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, he's just he, wait a second. I- I got I got to make a note here cuz Jack had before we started recording mentioned that he he had a film called Blow Up which which was another one of these odd uh, doublings but but I wanted to make note of the fact that his his credited uh 
director's name on, on the, the film Blow Up from 1998 is Raph DePalma. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. You can look, if you go want to go on IMDb and look at uh, D'Amato's list of pseudonyms, uh, it's a pretty extensive list, including he made films under the name Chang Lee Son. I mean, he's I, not even I the first thing which... that comes up when you IMDb Joe D'Amato. No, no, you have to. Uh, you can only access him on IMDb by finding one of his films. He won't come yeah. up in the regular searches because most of his stuff is porn. Yeah, it's it's just it's really interesting to me too because all of his films they either scream porn, rip off of another movie that's probably porn, or like historical <laughs> drama. So you get all this stuff. You get stuff like oh, the boxer. Oh, the Joy Club, not related to the Joy Luck Club. Uh, you know, and then, but you see things like Gangland Bangers, Homo Erectus, uh, but then he's got other stuff like, I don't know, there's something that's like Tarzan, except it's Tars Hard. Uh, oh, I just, I'm there's sorry, another I just movie that's just called Chang- Amazing Sex. <laughs> no, I just realized Chang Lee Sun was the name he released his film Chinese Kama Sutra under, which is... The Kama Sutra isn't even Chinese, so that's going to be an issue. Oh, and, and then after that, he released, as Robert Yip, he, re- he released China and Sex. Just independently, China and Sex. That's all you need. Um, Somebody, I, remarkable yeah. filmography. We're, we're only going to scratch the surface of this, so listeners, feel yeah, free to Yeah, because I mean, he you know, made... Get in Myros, there. you're saying he was he was sort of doing like 25 films a year at some point, but in, in around that period... Yeah, toward the very end of his yeah, life. Yeah, he's a real Clint Eastwood. Uh, it, it, the uh, the period that we looked at, he was doing like eight or nine films a year. Oh, yeah, yeah pretty light load. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Hong Sang Soo is, is only doing, what, three, three to four a year right now? Small <laughs> potatoes. Small potatoes, baby, small potatoes. That's true, but how many, but how many of his, his actors bang? <laughs> That's that's very valid true. point, and, and and yeah, when you when you go through this, it's a lot of stuff that's clearly porn. It's a lot of stuff that is like masquerading as something else, but in the back of your head, you're like, mm, that's porn. Then some horror stuff, some post-apocalyptic stuff, a lot of rip-off things too. So you know, 2020 Texas Gladiators is just you know a, a Mad Max movie. Uh, he's he's got another series of of films there- so. He did uh, Go Away, Trinity Has Arrived in El Dorado, and Bounty Hunter in Trinity, which are ripoffs of the Spaghetti Western series starring a character named Trinity, but these aren't actual Trinity movies. So just, just to give you an idea of some of the stuff that he did. But did, we're talking about Beyond the Darkness, Sean. I had one question on what you sure. were just saying. Did they ever really – was the movie Texas Gladiators 2020, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Did they ever like release that in sort of like a, a co- like a, a monochromatic cut? No, there's there's no black and chrome cut to my knowledge. But uh, may- maybe in some of Fulci's Mad Max ripoff works, you can find that. Who knows? I, I guarantee you, if Demato felt he could get away <laughs> with re-releasing it in black and white, and people would pay to see it, he would have a copy for you the next day. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So you'll note that he's directed several Emmanuel movies, uh, which is a, a famous French erotica series. But this is is also not the actual character. It's it's spelled with the <laughs> one M instead of two to get, to get away from. Yeah, we're the, we're literally talking about a man who's made a career out of ripping off ripoffs. Yeah, yeah. I see. I didn't come to him from the video nasties, although I think I had heard of Anthropophagus. But uh, 
I think I came to him through his involvement in the Troll series, which was uh, for a while there sort of a hot uh, internet property yeah. where Troll Two was like the the bee's knees, everyone's favorite uh, bad movie, and uh, D'Amato produced that film, I believe, and he also uh, made not one but two films that he released under the title of Troll Three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's good. All right. Yeah. Well, We've probably I, got people really psyched for these what, films. What I was going to say is you don't come to this expecting um, the work of a man who has uh, artistic integrity. Well, that would be okay. correct. <laughs> yeah. A lot, lot of artistic integrity. You say integrity. that, but, but you're not talking about some slacker who only have 119 days of anal. <laughs> no. 120 <laughs> days. <laughs> 120 days. I'm not going to call him a slacker. I mean, the guy fucking pumped out 200 <laughs> movies. Dude, this yeah. is the man who this this is a guy who literally could make a film in five days. I saw an interview with him. He talked about a film that they turned around in five days. He talked about how at one point in his career, sorry, at two separate points in his career, producers came to him with stock pirate footage, like footage of pirates mm-hmm. on boats just stock footage and on both occasions he made movies using that stock footage he just made a pirate movie out of them and on the second one he said it was a bigger budget film so he shot four pornos in a field in Hungary to help fund the larger sets yeah I mean I gotta say uh, making films is uh, I mean in quantity is is a lot easier when uh, two thirds or or half of, of the screenwriting is just sex yeah, it does. It does speed things up. To be fair to Demato, though, if you ever do hear him talk about his films, he's under no illusions. Oh, he's sure. not like full. She full. She absolutely believed he was an artist. Um, Demato is under absolutely and no probably, delusions prob- about what he's doing. Probably uh, Jean Roland as well. Oh, I'm sure Roland absolutely a very high opinion of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he also directed hardcore porn. <laughs> I just want to say, like, the, the last thing on Joe D'Amato's career, uh, Joe D'Amato passed away in 1999, and uh, God, God rest his soul. And the, the year that he died, okay, and, and keep in mind, he, he died January 23rd, 1999, so very early into 1999. But I just want you to know that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies were released in 1999 by Joe D'Amato. And he died January twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. Something we <laughs> said just, about his work ethic. Yeah, he's a, he's a hardworking guy. He also looks like if Robert De Niro did meth. Like that's <laughs> that, that's basically what Joe Damato looks like. Uh, great guy, great guy. Okay, well let's let's get into Beyond the Darkness, I guess. So this is, by most accounts, Joe D'Amato's artistic masterpiece, and. A lot of that is by kind of happenstance. He sort of stumbled into a movie that's that's better than average. And, you know, when he set out to make this movie, he flat out said, let's make something that makes people throw up in the movie theater. He set out to make the most disgusting, reviling thing he could possibly make. And uh, also he, he threw in a pretty killer score from Goblin, who did a lot of work with uh, Dario Argento, and for my money, if you're making an Italian horror movie in the 70s, you gotta get Goblin on board. And the soundtrack fucking rules. And there's actually somehow, against all odds, there's some good stuff going on in here, I think. So, Sean, what what did you think of Beyond the Darkness? Uh, I have an interesting relationship with it, because um, 
I really liked it. Uh, I, 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 I liked it uh, burying the lead here. I liked it much more than any of the rest. And yet, I found it has evaporated um, much more quickly than the others. Um, but, it, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Martin. Sure, yeah. The Romero yeah. film? Hmm. Maybe it was just like the guy, uh, uh, you know... Uh, it does have a baby-faced man with some very deep-rooted sexual yeah, issues. Yeah, he has to, like, <laughs> uh, have, he, he has to have, like, a, a corpse next to him in order to... Get it on. Yeah, yeah our, our film opens with, with his wife. I guess it's his wife or girlfriend dying, so he has to... He can't let her go, so he has to steal her corpse and embalm her and put in glass eyes so that she looks lifelike, and then he keeps her yeah, in his house. Yeah, it's a little... I would call this uh, uh, Weekend at Martin's. I might have to <laughs> correct you, because the film actually opens with uh, two women poking needles into a voodoo doll. That, that, that kills the wife. Yeah, that's there is right. no voodoo in this movie, by the way. <laughs> it does not exist. Somehow, in this film, that, somehow this I have forgotten thing. the two scenes involving the voodoo doll. I believe that then has no bearing on anything else. Oh in the yeah, film. No, no, it's uh, it's just a way. So the the idea here is there is. I mean, obviously, the guy who is the heir to this giant mansion and lives in this house, he's he's all alone except for his. Uh, housekeeper slash maid slash caretaker slash nanny, who's this weird, like, fucked up mother figure slash also a lady who wants to bang him. And who also can't be that much older than him. So right. I don't yeah. know how this yeah. relationship developed. But. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. And uh, th- this character, Iris, is played by uh, Franca Stoppi. I'm probably mutilating how you're actually supposed to. Uh, pronounce her name, but she is actually great. She plays a nun in a movie called The Other Hell, which I think Severin also released. So, nice little nun exploitation movie for you. But she's like low key a great actress, and almost to the point where she, like, her presence on screen almost takes away from how shitty of an actor <laughs> the, the, the lead protagonist guy is in this. But holy shit. Uh, so she she does the voodoo to kill the uh, the the wife fiance girlfriend whatever this this woman is, and then she tries to basically step in so she can be you know as as his caretaker she also wants to be his lover and there's a lot of weird shit going on. Sean, talk about that titty sucking scene. Oh yeah, I just want to drop that on you. <laughs> uh, I was more interested in um, was it this movie where. <laughs> the the mom is like giving him a hand job under his belt. Oh yeah, that's the nanny. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Not, that's not a gr- <laughs> whatever. Uh, that's a great scene. Like I said, I really can't remember a whole lot of the particulars of this. But Myros, you just watched this, correct? Yeah, just uh, mere hours ago. But no, th- that was all the standout stuff, and I I just wish it was explored in any way, <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> like his relationship with with this caretaker uh, is really screwed up and it's really interesting and it, it, it hints at this narrative about sort of obsession and this toxic relationship and it, it does nothing with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is very much a gothic a gothic thriller that Joe D'Amato got his hands on and got really excited about 
a couple of super gory set pieces, which involved him raiding a butcher shop and buying as many entrails he could so that he could stuff them into people's clothes and then rip them out. I figure that's kind of where that stuff came from. Yeah, oh, it's all all pig guts. What is the purpose? (laughs) I don't even understand, like, the central gore scene in this film, because he... He kid or well he he grave robs his wife's grave uh, in order to bring the corpse back, but then like what is happening? He he during the funeral he injects her with what embalming fluid? Why did yeah, he I, just have her fucking embalmed? What did he? Yeah, <laughs> they just that's, didn't that's right because so. that's right because the investigator is tipped off to be suspicious of him because he sees him injecting her dead body with something, but we don't know what that is or what the purpose of it is. Maybe. Yeah, at the time you're like, oh, maybe it's gonna be like a fucking zombie movie. Yeah, or something. yeah. We're gonna have some corpse reanimation. It's like, no, it's it's like <laughs> he's gonna embalm her body. It's like, well, you could have just had the funeral director do that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's kind of silly. The whole thing's silly, and it, it is kind of disappointing that they don't explore this weird relationship between uh, the the male protagonist and his caretaker more because. There's so much weird shit. Like, um, the the before, when I said earlier, when I was like, Sean, tell us about the titty sucking scene. There's this whole scene where she's trying to comfort this guy because he's clearly like distraught because his uh, his girlfriend is dead, and his solution is embalm her and bring her home. And she's like trying to soothe him, but also she's like uh, she's like, oh, come here and suckle for my bosom, and like exposes her breast and he like sticks his mouth on it like a baby but then also she's trying to have sex with him at the same time so it's this weird like maternal sleazy just moment and it's very unnerving but Joe doesn't do anything with it he just wants that initial like visceral shock basically of seeing this gross thing And, and that's the movie in a nutshell more or less well that's like a fundamental like thing you can realize to understand about him I guess is that that stuff is really effective and disturbing, and he doesn't seem to know that. <laughs> yeah, he he seems to find it. He's much more interested in just again like slapping pig guts all over the place, which is it doesn't do anything for me. That's for sure. Not a pig gut enthusiast. No. <laughs> Not a pig gut enthusiast. I get pissed off the censors, but that was about it. I mean, I'm it's in two minds because I mean it is so involved the gore scenes that I they kind of hold up to this day as just these absurdly a kind of intricately designed sequences full of very like very obviously real awful and entrails like it's very textured special effects uh, that kind of stuff that you get when you use real animal innards and it kind of stands up on that level as being kind of gross and disgusting but it also stops the film dead in its tracks every time he does it it's just like these sequences, like you say, don't lend anything to it, and he just cannot stop doing them. And we have a multiple yeah. murders. Our, our, our main protagonist, he's he's obsessed with women. He wants he wants to have sex with women, but have his embalmed wife nearby, and so he has to bring them in. And of course, the women are less than enthused about this prospect, so he ends up having to kill all of them in yeah. a series of brutal fashion. And D'Amato just lingers on those while having a, basically a, a gothic thriller that he can't, you know, I mean, this should all be shadows and, and Dutch camera angles and, like, unusual compositions. And instead, it's mostly pretty straightforward shots of just pig guts. 
Yeah. Well, and well, yeah, and the narrative you're trying to spin like really should not be like involving serial murder, if you will, because it, it's like you lose a sense of the uh, the male protagonist. I guess I suppose he's not the protagonist, but you think he's going to be. Um, you lose a sense of him almost immediately because you're like, okay, this guy's grieving. He's going to start breaking, losing his mind a little. But it's just like immediately he's doing these sadistic things and he's just suddenly like murdering women left and right. He There's a hitchhiker uh, who catches him embalming his, his dead wife and for whatever reason he tears her fingernails out with like pliers and it's just like this guy... Uh, he was leading a normal life until this happened because he seems to be an unhinged psychopath. Yeah, well, yeah. There, there's a literal element to it. I mean, like I, all of the all of the the themes and the the grander elements just take a backseat to just this very literal concept that he's just nuts and thus he should be violent and there should mm-hmm. be violence. I think the other problem here is Joe D'Amato shoots sex and violence the exact same way <laughs> and he's he's not interested in the like um, emotional or psychological elements of either he's just into the just the 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 vis- just visually showing it so whether he's doing a quick zoom on a girl's butthole in a movie like porno holocaust or showing off his pig guts like they're they're shot in identical fashion yeah, I think this is the thing that really distinguishes D'Amato from, say, Lucio Fulci, who made a lot of films that were similarly, like, not well-budgeted, but had this kind of psychological overture and often had a huge amount of gore in them as well. But that Fulci always had this kind of... He tried to liven things up visually, that there was always, you know, uh, an unusual light source, so the camera would come from an unusual point. There was always some kind of a detail making the shot interesting. D'Amato is, I mean, D'Amato first of course was a cinematographer and a camera operator, that's how he got into the industry originally, um, but I think he's just, he's just working fast, like, I think he just, he, he knows the minimum lighting setup required to get the shot, and then he just, he seems to just be running through it, towards the, towards the conclusion of the, of the film there's kind of a chase through the house and there's some, in you know, there's some shadows and kind of, you know, interesting compositions there a little bit more interesting than the rest of the film but that's really the only part of the film that shines it, the rest of it is just in, to my mind you know incredibly straightforward for a film that is clearly lives in a kind of an, a metaphorical but, gothic territory but when you yeah. when you watch it next to you know his other movies it, it looks much better because oh, it has a sure, momentum I mean, if you want to put the bar there, yeah, it's it's looking pretty good. Yeah, and and again, like like you mentioned with D'Amato, he's he's just trying to get through the shots. Like speed is is the key to understanding how he makes his movies. And there's actually there's I would a, say a he's great, on speed too. Cruise control, cruise control. Yeah, he. <laughs> there's a great interview with the aforementioned uh, Michelle Swaby, the the guy who did. Uh, Cemetery Man and The Sect and a few other great horror movies that you should check out. And he actually, some of his earliest work was working as a cameraman for Joe D'Amato and he says that like still to like this day he is completely baffled by how Joe shot so much. He's like, yeah, like Joe D'Amato 
can shoot more in four hours than any other director can shoot in four days. Like, it's just set up, go, 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 go. And, yeah, that makes sense. You just shoot everything. Yeah, I mean, DeMotto's one of the only directors I know of who would make films in his off time from making films. Like, he would shut up the production of a film for the day, and then he would just go and make another film on the set. Mm-hmm. Just, as, just so he could have two movies for the production scale of one. Yep. Um, right. He's got to pay off eventually. I think him and I live by the same creed, which is uh, shoot first, ask questions later. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, weir- the weird thing about D'Amato, though, is that as much as he did shoot prodigiously, um, which is very reminiscent of someone like uh, Jesus Franco, it's, it's just... Like, Franco's work has still has that weird, surrealist, poetic element, which may or may not land. I mean, a lot of his films are really bad, too. But somewhere it works. Sometimes it works really well. And certainly there's more of a weird kind of surreal aura to his work uh, somehow, even though he also could produce six, seven, eight films a year, even though he worked in pornography and so on back. But D'Amato just doesn't have that. D'Amato just has this just much more straightforward aesthetic. Um, which doesn't work like when the material is so thin like Franco just seemed to be able to like pull some weird element in to make it not exact so that whatever you're looking at it's not just that's not all you're looking at there's something else there some other weird inflection and be it just that everyone is dressed weirdly for no reason I mean there's some costuming stuff he did in his movies that just make very little sense or just find a castle somewhere and you know, but like there was always something going on in his films that you were like, okay, I guess. Um, D'Amato was very much just like, here's a bunch of people in a house. Yeah, that's, that's pretty on much a beach. On a beach. <laughs> <laughs> or on a beach. The one thing I would say about the end of Beyond the Darkness is it's got this really kind of decent shock ending, which I think kind of played in. I, I know I've seen several of those. The, the main one that I thought of was Lambert Bava's Macabre which is uh, came about a year or two after that, I think. Um, so I, I think maybe, I don't know if that was the first to have that kind of an ending, I'm, I'm trying to think, but it certainly was of a type there that kind of seemed to be popular in Italian cinema. Uh, I don't know if that's worth sitting through the preceding 90 minutes for, but yeah, something. And I, I, I will say, if you are listening to this, if you have an interest in Italian horror, if you have an interest in Joe D'Amato, and you're like, how do I know if Joe D'Amato is for me? Probably start here. Start with Beyond the Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> if Beyond the Darkness, if it, if it does something for you, then you might want to move on to a few other things. If it does absolutely nothing for you, then I can tell you, assuredly, there's nothing for you here. There's nothing. <laughs> so, See, I don't know. I might, I might advise otherwise. I'd say probably watch something more along the lines of absurd because you didn't. If you're going to delve into Joe D'Amato, you got to you got to have a an enjoyment for the the bad. You got to be there to laugh. I say you, yeah. you got to be in it for the yucks. And uh, I think Absurd is is maybe the only film we picked that actually really reflects that. Sure, I, I know we, I know we were going to do this uh, chronologically, but that was actually a great transition. Do you guys you want to talk a little bit about Absurd before we move on? We might as well get the good stuff out of the way. <laughs> We should go, but, but technically it's a sequel. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it is technically a sequel. I want to know who the hell decided this. It, actually, actually, I saw I, I saw an interview with Demato where he also said it was technically a prequel to <laughs> Anthropophagus. So, um, 
choose whichever you want, which which gives you a good idea of how yeah, connected absurd is to is, its is other it a film. prequel? Is it a sequel? Well, here's here's why it's related to another movie we're going to discuss. It's because it stars a guy named Joe, George Eastman, who just looks like a kind of raggedy Italian man, uh, just you know, shoulder length hair and a and a nice beard, and that's about to it. Be very- if if you watch Italian cinema of the seventies and eighties, you're you're gonna find George Eastman. He's inescapable. Yeah. You, you've He's seen everywhere. a lot of George Eastman. That's that's fair. Uh, but Joe likes him in in the role of the wide eyed murderer with his guts hanging out. So if that's your thing, <laughs> then here he is. Or or a scientist, perhaps. Oh Ooh. yeah, that's true. That's true. He's also a scientist. We got a lot of George Eastman. <laughs> yes. Sean, uh, where does George Eastman rank on your favorite actors of all time list? Oh man, uh, we'll get to his performance in, in in the last film that we talk about that really hit me, uh, hit me on a on a visceral level, um, on a penile level, <laughs> no, not quite, <laughs> but uh, but you know I think he's serviceable. He's such a lunk. Like he is, it, it, he is exactly what what you would probably picture if you were thinking like. Late 70s, early 80s, Lunk. He's basically, I said to Myros when we were watching some of these, he's like the guy from Happy Gilmore who has the, the you know, the gun, the guns don't hurt people I do or whatever. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's basically that guy, but he seems, sure. he seems innocent, honestly, as a person. Uh, like, he doesn't, he doesn't have, um, he doesn't have any sort of, uh, you know, at like he doesn't have a quality to him that would make you fear him. He he's clearly an actor for hire. Yeah. So uh, he also may have more uh, like alternate names than Joe Damato himself. He's, I thought you were gonna say he also has a lot of suit like, I think I say he also may have like uh, some sort of mental deficiency or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if hey, Joe Damato hey. was in it. I would not make any speculation. No, I, I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised if Joe D'Amato was the type to exploit, you know, that for uh, for production. Sean, I'm quite certain he is. In fact, he does in uh, one of these films. Is it Anthrop? No, I think it's Porno Holocaust. Yeah. I just want you to know, Sean, that uh, George Eastman is a, uh, a man who is uh, sound of body and mind. He is also the writer of the movie Absurd. I don't know if you knew that. No. Uh, not only the star, but the writer. You know, he had to write himself a big star vehicle film. So here we are with uh, the incredibly well-written Absurd. <laughs> I mean, we're talking... G- George Eastman was in a Fellini film, for God's sake. See? He was in Satiric. Yeah. One of the best. Yeah, he was in Satiric. Oh, yes. wait. So, yeah, this this is a great time for me to drop a fun knowledge nugget that I, I left you guys in our <laughs> Slack. Uh, during... Not only is George Eastman in Satiricon, but during the orgy scene in Satiricon, the Fellini film... Um, there is a guy playing guitar during this orgy, and the guy playing guitar, do you know who he is? Richard fucking Simmons. That's oh, yeah. right. Sweat, sweating to the oldies, Richard Simmons <laughs> is in Satyricon. It's beautiful. Uh, I'll have to look out for that. Somehow there, there, there's just some kind of perfect logic to that. It just it fits right with the world to find that out. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems right. S- so Eastman also uh, co-wrote Anthropophagus, and uh, he is also six foot nine inches tall. He has that a very um, he's, a, he's a giant rough, man. Rough estimate. In yeah. this, both this film and uh, uh, Porno Holocaust uh, to an even larger extent, uh, but he has a very uh, third man type of uh, 
entrance. It's held. Are you, are you talking about his dick? No, no. He's held <laughs> off for so long, and then he, you know, he comes out. We get this great opening on, on absurd. Um, that I think me and Myros watched about ten times trying to figure out the right audio track and subtitles because it's this like uh, it's an Italian film, but we get like this German couple and oh no 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 th- that's that's from an- that's that from Anthropophagus that's not absurd <laughs> wait I thought the two George Eastman movies yeah that's Anthropophagus yeah because I did the exact yeah, same thing yeah but that's that's the film we're discussing right now oh we are okay great I thought we were going to talk about absurd that's absurd fine. comes yeah, after yeah go ahead Sean <laughs> so Anthropoph- the prequel sequel Anthropophagus <laughs> yeah, okay that's why I thought he had a, um, uh, a third man type of um, uh, entrance because he has the tissue of the role but um I don't know about that. What the hell does the title mean? It's him. Uh, but, no. It's me, the Anthropophagus. <laughs> yeah, we call him AP. We don't, we don't even know how to say it because it's either Anthropophagus or Anthropophagus or something else that we don't know how to. We don't know how to say this movie at all. You go Anthropophagus. I mean, it just. It, it's, no it's, I don't know if it's a correct. Yeah, I don't know if it's a correct translation of eating a anthrop. Pod. Um, I just feel like enough, I'm though. saying a, like a Greek slur for a homosexual every time I say the title of this movie. Like I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's like, yeah, the, uh, the hey, Greek hey, god hey, of gay bashing. Go on. It starts with this German couple, and yeah, we were, it took a while to figure out like because there aren't subs for the German couple, but you can understand some of the stuff they say, and it was. It's a big mess, as you might imagine when you're trying to source, like, this vintage horror and porn stuff. But, um, I, I uh, Anthropophagus, uh, it's okay. It's, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, it was a decent, uh, intro, honestly. I'm glad I didn't start with Beyond the Darkness, because, um, I, it's a decent hangout movie in terms of like putting I don't mean the content of the movie but it's a decent movie to just put on and, and you know have some drinks to and just kind of have it on and laugh at and blah 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 um, but uh, yeah it's just I don't know this island horror movie and eventually the horror starts uh, yeah eventually yeah. I think that eventually being the uh, operative word this is a like, and this is probably one of his most notorious films because this one was banned in the UK Why? and other places because it's got a couple of because it's got scenes of extreme gore. Oh, right, I it's forgot not, about it's that. It's not, yeah, eventually. But aside from those scenes of extreme gore, it's mostly just a bunch of really unlikable people just standing in rooms. Yeah, and nah. that's pretty or much the whole around film for the, the longest uh, time. Walking around the structure. Sure, Outside. sure. Now yeah, there there are a few things that I, I like about this movie. Okay, so it takes it takes forever to get going, but I like that they come to an island that is seemingly abandoned, and that there's this like you know kind of air of mystery around it. I like that the monster is shown from like first person perspective, but we don't actually see him until later. I'm fine with that. Uh there's other things. Uh, the aforementioned gore scenes are, I guess, semi-effective. But I think as the problem is, is once the pacing picks up, the quality of the film really drops because this guy is just, he's like a, I don't know what he is. He's like a cannibalistic men's rights activist with a bad sunburn. <laughs> 
And he, yeah, he's he's literally a superpower as he's sunburned, and that makes him dangerous. Yeah, he's sunburned and upset because he ate his kid. Uh, and, and I want to say, and this this is the the thing that really drove me nuts about this movie, and I could not get over it. Uh, the the titular monster man, the Anthropus himself, he changes outfits like three times. Why is this guy changing <laughs> his fucking clothes? Why is that a you thing? Have standards. He's fashionable too. He's like at first he's rocking this like metrosexual sunburned lumberjack look, and then he switches to like a pair of bell bottoms and like a burgundy shirt. And there's just there's a lot going on. Why is he changing his well, clothes? The, f- the the film doesn't really effectively clarify what his major problem is. I mean, he... So, so to, I guess to lay it out, and it's interesting because um, George Eastman uh, in an interview clarified that this film began with a scene. He, he described it as, as they had a film idea, and the film idea was literally a man, his wife, and his child are in a lifeboat, and they're abandoned, and they're adrift, and they're... and. and Things are going badly, and it ends with the guy. He's gonna just he he eats his his family to survive, and then he goes crazy. And that was their one scene that they had envisioned, which they considered basically to be a film that it was worth making a film out of this one idea. Because I guess that's what you need to do if you make eight films a year. So anyway, um, Eastman took this away, and he built that in as a flashback to this island scenario. And that's basically the guy. He ate his family, and then I guess he got rescued, and his parents brought him back and he's very badly sunburned he has this bad skin it just looks like they just like crazy glued oatmeal to his face like it's the he is the one of the worst movie monsters because he's not really a monster and he just he just goes around and he attacks people there's no real clarification of why he's so dangerous he wipes out an entire greek village at one point in the in the dialogue they mentioned that the police came to try and stop the murders and they couldn't which makes no sense because he's yeah, just a guy. Um, so, he's so just a guy with a sunburn. <laughs> yeah, literally, there's no, there's no answer to why, why he's so dangerous or how. Like for all I know, maybe he goes home every night after killing everyone and changes his clothes and smokes a pipe and you know reads the newspaper. <laughs> like that's the film. It, it's not even that outlandish because the film has no structure about why anything is happening. Yeah, there's, there's really, there's, there's not. A lot going on with him, honestly. Like it's, it's it's completely the, bonkers. The, the weird thing to find out. Yeah, the weird thing to find out is apparently the makeup took two hours every day to apply, and honestly, they needn't have bothered. They just it's yeah. not worth it. I I don't know. It, it's it's just it's it's really a baffling movie, and and just the fact that there's there's nothing about him that says, oh, this this guy is immortal or you know he's got like a michael myers thing going there's nothing like that he's just a guy who killed an entire island's worth of people and couldn't be stopped uh yeah for some reason because of the rich horror tradition where like human meat gives you superpowers or something yeah although he does have the end they they but they kill him by attacking him with weapons which no one else tried i guess like he just no no one tried it it's like the police didn't bring guns. They just now, they asked him to stop, and he wouldn't. And they were like, well, we've done all we can do. Jack, you have to understand that, you know, maybe maybe they didn't attack him at first because he is the only gynecologist on the island. So what are they going to do, you know? It's, <laughs> his, his methods are old school. Yeah. 
a little, you know, a little old school. But, we, haven't uh, even, we haven't even mentioned we haven't even mentioned that Mia Farrow's sister is the main actress mm. in this film. Tisa Farrow, as as known from Zombie Two and several other cheap Italian films, but uh, I suppose it doesn't really matter that she's the star because no one has to do anything in this movie. Like there came a point about half an hour in or forty minutes in where I realized I literally couldn't differentiate the characters from each other. Like there was no, they don't even have like one dumb quirk. There's a pregnant woman. She's got a thing. Yeah. Okay, we know she's pregnant. She's the only one of those. Everyone else is just interchangeable. It's just there's the guy, and then there's another guy, and they're interchangeable. <laughs> I have no way of distinguishing a, them within the I film. I had a serious issue with this because, so uh, and spoiler alert, very very similar. Yeah, and, and so spoiler alert if you don't want to hear how this movie ends. But um, there's there's a part where Tisa Farrow is. I don't know. She falls off a roof. She gets hung up in a well. There's some stuff going on. And it looks like uh, she's about to get, you know, anthroed by our <laughs> sunburned villain. And then some guy comes up and and just, like, stabs him or hits him with an axe or something like that and, and cuts him open. And then old anthro boy in, in one of the iconic scenes from this movie, iconic and heavy finger quotes, he eats his own guts. He's like, mmm, tasty. But when this is happening, all I can think of is, like, who the fuck is that guy? Didn't he die earlier? I thought all the guys were dead. Who the fuck is this guy? Where did he come from? Who is he? I still don't know who he is. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't work it out in my head. So uh, that's it's not that's worth that. rewinding to find out to do an inventory of who's yeah. where or why. Guess I'll have to watch the whole thing again. <laughs> uh, I might pass on that. I and see. Sean said that uh, he was having a little trouble. Uh, remembering much of Beyond the Darkness, and and that's Anthropophagus for me. Like this movie's gone. It's just I, gone. it just has yeah. that yeah. island set up. I, I I don't remember a lot of particulars either, but I remember like the the bad guy coming out from behind the piano or the, in the corner of the room. Like I remember little bits, but I mean nothing is as memorable as Absurd because it has uh, yeah. It, it, because a movie like Absurd, which is, I guess, technically a sequel to Anthropophagus. Uh, or a prequel. Or a prequel. Or a prequel, yeah. Uh, it, has, it has this brilliantly uh, insane running thing of uh, the Super Bowl night. It's, it's, uh, it's like a one crazy night movie, and it's marked... Uh, oh, yeah, quite- Game Night. Uh, what's that? Yeah, Game Night. Well, yeah, yeah, because they're, they're watching the game. Yeah. And they keep saying they're watching the game. And they keep being like, I gotta go return to the game. It's marked very cleverly uh, in terms of, you know, uh, making it stick out from the rest of his work. I, I, I want to say, well, too, the- that, that like we, we cannot underestimate, in the movie Absurd, how badly the movie Absurd wants you to think that it's all about, like, the, you know, any town America is the setting when it is clearly not in any way, shape, and form. And not only... And just just the way that, like, Joe D'Amato has no understanding of American culture and has clearly never watched, like, 30 seconds of football in his life. So everyone in this town is talking about, well, we got to watch the game tonight. It's time to watch the big game. Got to watch the big game. Like, this is a constant refrain throughout the movie. And when we finally see people in the film watching the big game that they keep talking about... It is the most 
Italian ridiculous shit I have ever seen in my entire life. So the football is on TV, but everyone is standing around in like $5,000 suits and ball gowns, like smoking cigarettes. And then I'm just in this like clearly Italian villa, like covered like in Formula marble. One watching. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and then, wait, wait, and then wait, wait, it gets my, even better. My favorite because, part, though, is... Mm-hmm. Well, I, to go. Somebody, wait, you, what's I, your favorite part? No, no, well, okay. Because okay. so, I was just going to point out my, what I love about the scene is they're all watching the game, and it's American football coverage on the TV, and it's in slow motion. It's a replay of a game, it's, and it's slowed down. The dudes are running extra slow, and everyone's just sitting around <laughs> watching this as the game... This is the game. Well, because it's yeah, all like it's, NFL films footage. And then, and then yeah, while they're clear, watching it, while they're watching it, and you're saying to yourself, could this get any more Italian while pretending to be very American? Then there's, there's a scene. As soon as that popped into my head, one of the women in the room goes, oh, I almost forgot the spaghetti. And then she brings out like a big ass <laughs> bowl of fucking spaghetti. <laughs> what the fuck? Fuck. Yeah, uh, I forgot that. They don't, there's no sauce. They just eat. They just they they gleefully pass around a bowl of what looks to be plain spaghetti. Every Super Bowl party I've it. been to, you got Doritos, you got chicken wings, and you got angel hair pasta. Angel hair pasta in a big bowl, plain. Mm. Uh, yeah, I I guess we take for granted how big uh, the NFL is. Now. Like they, maybe they just like. Weren't uh, successful enough to give a shit about uh, Joe D'Amato <laughs> using their fucking footage in this film because it seems insane to consider now since the NFL is like the biggest fucking corporate monstrosity in the country. That sure, just fucking Joe D'Amato could be like, "Hey, I'm gonna throw this in there," be like, "You are sued in ten fucking seconds." <laughs> I, I don't even know uh, how it made it. Like at this point, the fact that there is a brand new Blu-ray release of this. I guess it's it's an obscure enough film where no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is the one where there's a shit ton of NFL footage. I mean, maybe Joe got the rights, but I doubt it. Joe D'Amato doesn't seem like maybe a rights guy. Maybe it's a college guy. game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Maybe it's, maybe it's a touch. Oh, no. Yeah. No, this is the NFL films for Super Bowl fourteen. Absolutely, fucking lootly Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. Like, yeah, you're about to see, like, the fucking immaculate reception on uh, Joe D'Amato's film here. It's insane. It doesn't oh, make any immaculate sense. Immaculate reception? <laughs> Yeah, not to be confused what with the book, uh, immaculate the misconception in Anthropophagus. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing about the game for me for for absurd was that like up until that point, it had never even occurred to me that this movie was set in America. There was no reason for oh, no. it to be. It's so. in a house that's and very clearly not go, American. Yeah, and, and it's just like, oh, you're going to be watching the game tonight between, I can't, the Rams and the Steelers. Yeah. And I'm like, the Rams and the Steelers? <laughs> Wait, is this America? <laughs> and then the well, yes, it was. You may say it was directed by Joe D'Amato, but in fact, it was directed by the very American director, Peter Newton. <laughs> yes. A the other thing that really marks Classic this, Joe pseudonym. The, the other uh, aspect that really marks Absurd for me, um, besides this cool poster... Is uh, the score, which is uh, very prog uh, heavy, but it's just like seemingly played at random. Oh yeah, <laughs> from whatever they had available. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it just it's, doesn't match up with like beats properly. I, I imagine they did not have time to shop for that. <laughs> 
The one, the one thing that I like about Absurd, though, is we, we complain about Anthropophagus and the fact that the, there is no real monster. It's just a sunburnt dude who is very antisocial. Uh, Absurd at least gives him a super villain backstory that his blood coagulates so quickly he cannot be injured or he can't be killed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they don't give a reason for that, I don't believe. This is believe. like the oh, yeah, there's reasons of right. the priests. Yeah, it's a the Catholic church, man. performed a, a crazy priest experiment out of that made him into uh, a coagulating Which man. is, and this is very oh, important. Okay, I, this is very important, and here's why. <laughs> because if you're not familiar with Italian films... Um, you know, you, you have your various descriptors for, you know, why is a villain doing what they're doing? And most of the time it's, he's crazy or he's just a monster. But the backup plan is, if it's not one of those things, it's the Catholic Church did it. Uh, Italian horror filmmakers <laughs> love blaming the Catholic Church. And it could be anything. It's just like, this man has stabbed 25 people. What happened? It's just like, well, his... his priest looked at him side-eyed when he took the fucking Eucharist, so here we are. Like, <laughs> that's literally how they explain things, so this is yeah, it's not to be surprising. Fair, and, and, and in Absurd, in Absurd, we have a priest from, he's, he's come over from Europe to America, where this from film is absolutely, <laughs> where this, he's come over to America, where this film definitely, it takes place, and he's hunting this, this monster that he's created, and I do enjoy that because, like, he's he is as much a convincing a priest as like Donald Pleasance is a psychiatrist in Halloween. Like, he just shows up as like, no, we have to kill him. We got to kill him. Gonna kill him. Get guns. We gotta yeah. kill this guy. And it's like, okay, priest dude, this is a uh... and no and no one really questions it. It's sort of like, oh, you came over from Greece. Uh, oh why? yeah. And it's like I gotta kill this dude. And it's like, oh okay, cool. This, yeah, we'll help you. This priest is incredible uh, for so priest many reasons. Would have been a very convincing. <laughs> Yeah, you would have been a very convincing Dracula. Yeah, much better. <laughs> well, and he does this thing where at first he's, and I don't know why he's trying to do this, but he's trying to hide the fact that he's a priest from Europe. So he he does this, like the visual marker for this is he doesn't want his priest collar to show because he's got to like rep the gear at all times. So he wears this big black overcoat and he just like hugs himself and like shrinks his shoulders down. So he's clearly like trying to hide whatever's underneath his overcoat. It's ridiculous. Like he just, he looks like a complete asshole for the first like three fourths of the movie. And then he's chasing around, um, whatever the absurd George Eastman's name is in this. I don't know. Anthropophagus George Eastman. Niklo Panopoulos yeah, or it's something. It's very Greek. Yeah, it's like, I don't M- know. Mikos Denopoulos. Yeah. Whatever. Which is, by the way, not the same name yeah. as Anthropophagus. Euro Mipstroganoff. Whatever. It's, so the point is, <laughs> the, the, the priest is just chasing him around. Like, there's this whole scene at the beginning where he's chasing him through the woods, and the guy's George Eastman, the murderous monster who can't be killed, is just running from the priest. The priest's like, get back here, you. It's like, what, why is George Eastman <laughs> running? Why doesn't he just rip the priest's like, legs off and beat him over the head with him? Like, there's, there's no reason for him to be running. Uh, he's scared of the priest uh, yeah, for some reason? The, the priest like got priest science? He's going to use the, the Vatican science to get him? Well, that would make sense if that was introduced in the film at all, but it is certainly not. The way to kill him is just to uh, standard, you know, shoot him in the head. Yeah, yeah you have to shoot him in the head because he's effectively a zombie, but they didn't want to make him a zombie. <laughs> so he's not a zombie, but also this, very similar. Yeah. 
They don't know also- a zombie. Eastman must have like rebelled against the two hours of makeup because here he just, despite being some sort of monstrous Superman zombie, he just. George Eastman in like a jean jacket. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's just a dude. Yeah, denim is his superpower this time around. Um, yeah, we, there's a lot of weird elements in Absurd. I mean, we have also we have a girl in Traction who just draws endless circles. Um, oh. and, they're, and they're concerned about her well-being because she just draws, like she just has like a compass or whatever. And she just draws circles and circles like she like they wouldn't buy her a spirograph set so she's like <laughs> improvising herself and she just does this over and over again they're like why don't you watch tv and she's just in tra- traction and neck brace or whatever and she turns out to be you know of course she's immobile and 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 the evil guy gets in the house and starts killing everyone uh, and she has to fight back against him by getting herself out of traction. But they never go back to the fact that she draws these circles. Like, there's never any explanation of what those, it, you know, kind of represent, which is just another drop line. And it, it it's kind of a through line to all of these D'Amato films is that they just go so... They go so quickly through their story beats. They don't care about anything. Like, you can tell that these scripts were written... Literally in certain times, in a matter of days. Well, um, and listen, Jack, listen. <laughs> All I want to say is, find yourself a man who will cure your quadriplegic daughter by being spooky <laughs> and not dying. That's it. That's what she needs. That's true. She's in, she's in a special kind of traction that realigns her spine, but then she just unscrews all the neck braces, gets out, and then kills a dude with an axe. Which is yeah, I'm pretty sure she's just going to be fucked for years to come. <laughs> she needed to stay in that traction. Now, but we'll this, this is this is like a device that works in a good movie. I I really love this movie because it is fucking ridiculous. I would Again, say pound it, for pound, this is maybe the most entertaining of the yeah. the four we watch because at least there I, is stuff happens in this movie. Yeah, and it lives up I to would the agree, title. But it, <laughs> It's just the way that everything is framed. Again, you have this girl in traction, and she's going to be your final girl. And but she's never a POV character almost. And and when we're at the point where she has to like overcome this and and get out of traction, it is like the fucking worst sequence. It's just like <laughs> endlessly cutting between her like unscrewing a screw and and this like the, the five year old child in the hallway goes like. Ah! Ah! Oh god, the child! I love, I love her escaping because she the unscrewing the screw like that that keeps her collar on. That's the latter part of her escape sequence. There's this whole extended shot of her. She's got these leather brace, like this leather thing tying her hands down or something. I don't know why they're like. Is she a prisoner? I don't know if this is actually traction. Yeah, this, this looks like they've just kidnapped. It's, some it's chick. a real misery but, situation um, in my yeah, mind. But but she's got these she's got these leather straps that she could clearly take off they're around her wrist but like you know they're, they're just like a belt that you just loosen and let get the pin out of the hole and just loosen them and you could see the actress whoever's doing the the close-up you know doing the action of them their their hand imprisoned it's working so hard to not just undo the clasp and move their hand out it's because they need like minutes of her struggling so she's just ineffectually like she doesn't know how to use those clasps even though they're like the most basic thing in the world and she can't move her hand and she just pulls around and it just goes on forever while like adam says while this just child bangs on the door and it's terrible and we watched i will you know we watched the english dub which i highly recommend i think you know there's no official language for most of these films because all the sound is recorded later anyway but the english dub for this one is uh 
particularly entertaining in some of the voices they found. I gotta say, too, this kid's a real fucking asshole, all right? Like, I'm not gonna stand here and... I mean, there, there are a few kids in Italian cinema that I personally would like to see thrown into a wood chipper. Uh, n- a number one is definitely the little blonde kid from House by the Cemetery, a Fulci film. Watch the English dub for that and see if you can, like, not shove a screwdriver in your ear. Um, this kid is number two for me, and he's a complete dick because he knows his, his sister is completely immobile. So while his babysitter is uh, getting baked in an oven by uh, Anthropomophagus, uh, he's just he's just screaming outside. Try like what is what is getting into your quadriplegic you know sister who is completely immobile? What is the purpose of getting into that room? And also, you know that she's immobile. So what the fuck do you think she's going to do? Literally go into any other room of your giant Italian villa? Like why? Why? Well, no. Wait. Keep in mind the other aspect of this plot as well, which is that. The parents are watching the big game. Even though they took the family sedan, they seem to be directly across the road oh, watching yeah. the big game. So the babysitter sent <laughs> the to little be fair, child Adam, out Europeans, to, to find Europe, the parents. Yeah, Europeans know that Americans drive everywhere. This checks out. This is totally legit. Yeah, so when the babysitter is getting killed, she sends the kid out. She's like, oh... Leave now. Go get your parents. Uh, and then he just doesn't. He just fucking, like, immediately re-enters the house and uh, proceeds to scream at the camera for, like, ten minutes. The kid, the kid does look like the prototype for, like, the, the flashback sequence in Dario Argento. Like, he looks like the kid who will grow up to be a deranged killer in another movie. Yeah. I, I You really want that kid I, to, to bite it. I'm like, geez, Joe, you want to test the sensors? Fucking skewer this fucker. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Seriously, like, I mean, if, if Joe's going to spend that much time, like, baking a woman's head in an oven like a clay pot, you know, at least do something that damn kid. Oh, my God. That that one confused that the the oven murder. Although it turns out she actually survives um, for a bit. It was just because he... he he grabs her and he opens the door laboriously and shoves her head first into the oven and then oh he's gonna gas her and he's like fiddling around with the oven controls and he just turns the oven on and he knows immediately how to use the oven which suggests that uh, Miko Stepanopoulos is uh, and maybe a chef back in his native Greece <laughs> who knows um, an interesting <laughs> thorough true line they never follow up on and then he just holds her head while the oven preheats to a level capable of scorching human skin and the the camera's been anti stays there with us yeah, no, it's it's but the film stays with it. This sequence lasts quite a while, mm-hmm. and you know, and obviously it cuts out to the kid banging on the door like a little imbecile, and then it cuts back to her in a later stage of makeup of, to indicate that she's like being burned alive. I appreciate it. It makes Just, total sense. I, it's so I appreciate that he didn't wait for it to preheat. Like as soon as <laughs> as soon as he turned it on, that's when you that's when I throw the pizza in, jacks or otherwise. Uh, as soon as I turn the oven on, you don't have to like, wait. You, you know what? This is this is the chaotic you you, world that you live in. You don't preheat the damn oven. You're just Mister fucking Chaos Sean, over here. Sean, if you want to bake a French babysitter alive, you do have to wait a while, and it's gonna only be longer because ovens are room temperature at the start. Yeah, that's and that's well, what listen. They, uh, they, tend to, they tend to stay pretty room temperature too, where the door is wide. Yeah, open I know. Preheating. I would have. Preheating is a social construct, my friends. 
Oh my god! This is I, another. I, this is like another this is bad. By a man who is not a baker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you adjust the cooking time accordingly, it's a social construct. Just understand, Sean, that your Jack's Pizza is not baking when you put it in a room temperature <laughs> oven. Well, and this this is the problem that you run into. So whether it's it's your your French babysitter's head or a, a delicious Jack's Pizza. Uh, you know, you all you're doing is giving yourself anxiety. When you preheat that oven, I know there's a set time that, you know, my pizza is going to be ready in 10 minutes. My babysitter's head is going to be ready in 10 minutes. It, when Sean just throws really? his jacks in, that's just anxiety. That's, is it burning? And is it really raw? You have to check on it constantly. When I, when I want to cook my babysitter, I want to throw her in there, crank the broiler, and know that in 10 minutes I'm going to have a nice, crispy babysitter. And Steve, this comes back to bite him in the ass because she stabs him after she didn't die. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. loses all her hair in yeah. probably the most impressive makeup application of the film. And yeah. she she attacks him and allows the kid to escape. But luckily his coagulation powers allow him to rise again. Yeah. Uh, I don't actually remember how she dies eventually. Just, just strangle her or something. Something like but that. What, what, I would say about, what I would say about Absurd is it does actually have more than... Like, Anthropophagus has these... Uh, like, it has two, I guess, infamous scenes in it, both of which involve eating things that should be inside of people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so a fetus, which is actually just a rabbit, uh, a rabbit carcass that D'Amato purchased out of a butcher. Anytime a D'Amato film production moved to town, the butchers must have loved it. There's <laughs> like, hell yeah, oh, we yeah. can sell the, like, the cheapest cuts of crap we've got to this guy. So there's, there's two big gore scenes in Anthropophagus, um, and neither of them are particularly impressive other than the fact that George Eastman will apparently put anything in his mouth in the name of cinema uh, if be it a raw like rabbit carcass or a bunch of pig entrails that mm-hmm. he's pulled out of his own clothes but Absurd actually has like real horror movie kills they've got like a guy shoved into a bandsaw we've got the oven sequence you know so it, it at least has some real scenes although I do have a question actually now that I think about it about the guy who's killed in the bandsaw who's just like I, I don't even remember it's like just a warehouse randomly somewhere and he's just sweeping up uh, and the monster comes in to attack him and he just runs to the next room to his overcoat and just pulls out a huge revolver that he keeps <laughs> on oh him. that was fucking awesome <laughs> yeah and, and starts opens fire but like what is the again a damning indictment of American culture through European eyes uh, that this man who is a low level menial cleaning job also packs heat? Oh yeah, yeah, like uh, a fucking like three fifty seven Magnum. Yeah, but, like it's not like a small one. Like it's a huge gun that this dude is keeping, just hung up on the coat rack, just just in case. Mm-hmm. You know, wish I wrap up absurd. Yes, please. But it's really. To put a button on this uh, preheating uh, conversation. Thank you. I just <laughs> want to say. I just want to say, if you were to say, put your babysitter in the oven at three twenty-five, and then cook her for an hour, you're going to get a very different consistency than if you cooked it at five hundred for about uh, fifteen minutes. And that's that's what you're sacrificing when you fail to preheat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And also, and Sean should know this too. Uh, if you learn anything from Absurd, if you just don't preheat the oven and you shove something in, chances are it's going to be a little bit raw on the inside and a little bit burned on the outside. And then when, as soon as you turn your back, they're going to fucking stab you. So, you know, just something to think about. He also, did, he also didn't season the babysitter. No. Worth noting. No, didn't season. Perhaps he isn't a chef. Yeah. You're just not going to get that nice crust you want. I know. 
I that's and that's what well, I did. This film's crusty enough, I think. It is crusty enough. Actually, so if anyone, has questions, <laughs> if anyone has questions, follow, or like a problem following our description of this film, it is it is John Carpenter's Halloween, except awful. Yeah, basically, yeah, but awful, but still super that. funny. Now, now, and the the, the last thing that I want to say about ago. this film, oh my god, is it's it's another movie that has multiple titles. Okay, uh, the, the the version, I guess, the, the most official version is absurd, which is exactly what this movie is. Now, it was also released in the U.S. On various VHS, uh, you know, releases under the name Horrible, and this movie's not horrible. It's fucking absurd, and 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 worth watching. <laughs> worth watching. So let's talk about the last movie, and and boy, do we we could do four hours on this one. Um, it is somehow <laughs> somehow against all odds. This is the longest film that we watched, and I don't know how against all it, odds. Against all odds, all, uh, and in the mind of Joe D'Amato. This film is the culmination of his theory of how to make money in movies. So what do people love? They love sex. What, love, what else do people love? They love scary monsters. George so what if, I, what if I made a porno with a weird monster in it, and it was bad and unwatchable, and nobody looked like they were having a good time? Uh, we... We watched Porno Holocaust, Sean, didn't we? Yeah, and I, I mean, I got to say uh, uh, a couple things on this, but at, by this point in the Joe D'Amato watch, um, I just couldn't help but wonder what it was like to be an actor on set. Like, I, I wanted to know more about um, set life and compensation and room and board. Like, I wanted to know what... The life, the you know, living. I, I can tell you a little bit about this, Sean, because because actually, um, George Eastman talked about oh. that a little bit in an interview. Yeah. Uh, basic. Well, I mean, just a little bit. I, it's around this time. It's difficult to determine which film he was talking about because I believe <laughs> uh, D'Amato completed approximately five films on this stretch of beach that this film was made on. So. And one of these is actually was, um, and it, honestly, it might be this film, honestly. Uh, George Eastman apparently was, in his own words, really into gambling at this point in his life. He points it out like that it's kind of like a fun thing, like he took up like stamp collecting and not much. like, like, yeah, not, not like a life crippling addiction. So he was really into gambling. So he'd spent all of his money that he had been paid to be in these movies. So he <laughs> basically tried to convince Joe D'Amato to make another movie while they were out there and uh, basically convinced him, you know, like, hey, we're all out here anyway making a movie. Why not just make another movie on top of the movie we're all making? I'll go and I'll write a script so you can pay me now because now I'm a script writer. And he went back to his room and he wrote, he knocked out a script in like a day or two. But uh, in the meantime to that, he slept in one of the actresses, um hotel rooms which oh, he pointed out hotels. was really awkward because yeah they, they they had a hotel room and he slept on the floor there and he said it was very awkward because they were not romantically involved at all he, there was no comment from the actress <laughs> on how this was received but that would give you i think a sense yeah. of room and board, yeah, yeah. where they went out to star in this movie and then found other people were just hanging out in their rooms because they gambled all their money and couldn't afford hotels yeah, this is clearly a different so. time that i'm just not used to because uh, you know, the, there's just more money, more money than you would imagine. I guess I pictured them like sleeping in, in, in like cots in these like 
you know, the uh, tents that they had set up and just like sort of just shooting super guerrilla style and then, you know, moving on to the next area. But um, this movie, uh, I think, Steve, you mentioned that it's the longest of the ones that we watched. Uh, oh, cl- yeah. Clocks in at about hour 50, but um, I think it only took uh, Myros and I about an hour to watch. Oh, you, you weren't you yeah. weren't uh, you weren't pausing on those uh, greasy, dirty, sand-filled buttholes that kept popping up in the film. I saw plenty just by going like fast forward through. <laughs> like I, I did not. You're doing. I did not. You're doing really well, Sean, because I believe the the R-rated or the the cut version of this film is about seventy-five there minutes you go. long. So it sounds like you still managed to trim another fifteen minutes. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, I didn't expect it. I didn't know it was hardcore and. Uh, it's Northern very uh, unattractive. The, uh, there is one log, or maybe it's multiple logs, but where... That's uh, a penis. <laughs> there is sex, uh, like real sex being had on these logs. I can't help but just feel bad for the act- oh, yeah. actors, or especially the actresses. Yeah. It's just like it can't be comfortable. You you can't help but feel bad for the actresses at all. Oh my god! And then film. there's that one scene where the actual animal, or not animal, but like the um bat, the whatever monster, the penis like, monster, the penis monster <laughs> who takes like an hour and twenty minutes to be revealed, comes out and like has sex with her once and or something. I can't remember. At, at one point, like kills her and then has sex with her. And you just have to think about, like, the fact that she is, like, acting dead while he's, like, having sex with her. And then you get this shot of, like, spaghetti sauce coming out of her. It's just so... It's awful. (laughs) It's really gross. Well, and the actual plot of this movie is there's an island off of this other island. And there's some sort of, like, secret government experiment that went on. And it created a monster... And the monster is just this guy who frowns a lot and has bad skin, sort of like Anthropophagus. Uh, but yeah, then he's, he's, like, he's, he's, he's also is he, identical to fucking Anthropophagus. Yeah, it's just with, with hardcore <laughs> sex. It's like they stuck. It's like they stuck an egg carton to his forehead and painted yeah. it. Yeah, and that was like that's, no, their, that's, that's their makeup. That's it. Is everything like the makeup is is just super glue and Joe D'Amato's trash can because it's an egg carton glued to his head. <laughs> And then they just, like, wrap some cardboard around his dick to give him, like, a weird monster dick, and that's it. And it's, like, it's it's not, not fun. The stuff not a that fun is, movie. I mean, I feel like we, we've we jumped ahead in the movie, because oh, there's sorry, a whole build-up to the beat. island. <laughs> yeah. Fucking porno Yeah, no, 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 because it starts off. It starts off with a great conversation about how uh, women scientists must be monsters, <laughs> Which I wasn't quite sure what the inference there was. Apparently women who are also scientists are just, like, very, very scary to men. Um, this is spoken by the male lead of the film. So uh, I think we're supposed to identify or like him, you know? I, I don't know. And then they have a discussion about the island. They're going to investigate. A team of scientists are going to investigate this island. And... Um, Weirdly enough, like, people, dead bodies keep showing up, but no one has investigated it prior. They're just like, just don't go to the island, which is a really proactive response from everyone there. It's like, yeah, we, we don't know what's happening. Just don't go there because dead bodies keep showing up. 
and oh, then yeah, they that's go, where he is that disabled man. There's this like a fat legless man, and yes. they just like huck into the sea. <laughs> yeah, they pick him up, and again, and they like painted him blueish <laughs> to make it to indicate that he was very he was very dead. Um, yeah, and then they and so the women wander around for a little bit, and like Sean, I and I don't know why because I mean I knew Joe D'Amato directed porn. And this film is called Porno Holocaust. <laughs> and for some reason, when I first sat down and watched this, I just assumed like it was lurid Italian marketing and this is just going to be a regular trashy movie. And then the, the women shift around for a while before eventually just starting to have sex with each other. Uh, and or there, like, oh, there's no, a scene where is... she pays two dudes to have sex with her and it, it's just yes. like... It's... God, yeah, yeah. There's one where she's, like, she's so like a horny. One of... Yeah, she walks in and there's two two guys and she pays the she pays to have I guess get ravished by them and then she does all the work. It's like the saddest thing. Um, uh, this also, whole... nobody has a boner in this movie. <laughs> like the women aren't having a good time. The guys aren't. No one's having a good time. I, Joe, maybe maybe Joe D'Amato's having a good time. Uh, maybe my maybe f- gambling gambling George Eastman's having a good time. Yeah, no, my favorite my favorite scene of the movie is probably when, uh, well, there's there's probably like three or four instances where a couple just goes, "Let's fuck," and then they just start going at it. <laughs> and one scene is like they're Sean, Sean. I just sorry, I just want to interrupt you to to clarify. Um, when they say "Let's go at it," that happens all the time. But there is always one minute before they do that where they both stand yeah, silently. Yeah, yeah. Away from each other and just slowly undress, undress <laughs> yeah. themselves. It just the most like like it's a procedural, <laughs> clinical yeah. kind of depiction every time. Uh, and, and, uh, the, but this one scene, the, this couple does that right in front of George Eastman. Like George Eastman is is like sitting at a table at their camp, and. He, he it just keeps doing this like cut back and forth from the couple to George Eastman and you're kind of like wondering if they're really gonna go through with it and they do and he just has like this weird like dog with his tail between his legs like walk away from from them like he's just been shamed and it's so weird. That was yeah, the most. This, that was the most joy I got speculating about. I'm like, is George Eastman gonna gonna fuck? I mean, I, <laughs> I bet you that guy's got a huge hog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very confusing. Um, I will say my favorite scene, uh, which I I literally stopped the movie and I had to re- we got a, a file off the internet uh, to watch this, and it was in a format that I couldn't just pull the snippet out so I actually stopped the whole movie to re-encode the file to a different <laughs> file format just so I could pull out the scene there's an amazing scene early on where two of the women have a conversation if you could call it that it's a very <laughs> roughly a conversation and anyway uh, one of them says you know oh they, they basically ask where the third woman is and, and the first woman says oh she's gone away with this man who's the main character and the second woman says, oh, so she got there before you, eh? And then apparently pisses off the first woman. So she just slaps her out of nowhere. And then there's just this pause, this dead silent pause. And the other woman just slaps her back. And then they continue conversing. And that's just in the movie. And I, I will say without any hyperbole, that is the greatest thing out of any of the films we've discussed today. That also, is I think, an like- amazing... After that second slap, I think about the third line uttered is uh, is once again the line <laughs> of the film. Uh, let's fuck. <laughs> let's fuck. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. That's what they do next because there's nothing else to do on the island, I guess. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this movie, like, 
this movie is fucking exactly the same movie as Anthropophagus, except if they just spliced in the line "Let's fuck" about ten times and then followed it up with some spliced in sex scenes. I've got to be the same made, movie. Yeah. I just learned something. I'm looking at the IMDb uh, storyline plot summary of this, and does this sound okay? So. Uh, the monster, a radioactive monster, he attacks and rapes several of the women. Does this sound familiar to anyone who die horrible deaths because his sperm is radioactive? No. What? No. no. That's, they never that, talk about that. that. In the movie? I don't ever remember that happening. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. That's IMDb. Not uh, yeah, okay. Uh, that, yeah. There you go. He is he is radioactive and crazy, yeah. and he is he is keeps a diary about his thing. He was trapped there while they were doing uh, nuclear experiments, yeah. and from that he just became a crazy egg carton looking motherfucker. Well, you know, yeah, he was he was trapped there with his family, and it was revealed in an exposition diary, exactly the same as Anthropophagus. <laughs> Uh, you know, based on the aforementioned like ragu to the crotch scene, you would think that he had like some sort of a radioactive knife penis or something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just a regular uh, radio- it's be- radioactive sperm. You know, it's you ever you ever heard of a, a Joe D'Amato uh, bikini wax? That's where uh, a monster on an island <laughs> drops some radioactive sperm on you, and all your hair falls off. It's great. Look, look, Adam, you, you can complain about this. Look, George Eastman can get you a script in, like, three days, but it's, it's going to be based off of other scripts. I think that's... We, we have to allow for this. Okay, so... And, you know, I don't know how many movies you can say this about, but I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, and, and go ahead and correct me if this is not the consensus, but our consensus seems to be too much porno, not enough Holocaust. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, it's like an hour true. of porno before we even get to the island, let alone to the monster of the island. Did you guys take note? I, I know I pointed it out to Sean that there's an infamous gaffe in the last scene of this film where they're like, they're like the two of them are the last two survivors floating away on this rickety boat, and then just like a crewman's head pops up from the hole of the boat, just like, hey! And then no. it, it's, it's like, yeah. I actually missed that. I was probably too busy passing out at that point. <laughs> probably too busy doing something else, like, if you know when, what I mean. Yeah, but it when was you just like a guy laying mention- in the boat, and he accidentally pops his head up. And when, when you mentioned there was a gaff at the end, I just thought you meant the fact that, like, the, the conclusion is they find the yeah. boat. They find they find the boat pretty quickly on when, when like the first they're person like dies, happy. and they're like, "Oh no, we need to, yeah." And we're like, "We need to get out of here. We need to, you know, we find this boat. We need to get out of here." And they're like, "No, it's too dangerous for all of us in a boat that size. We better just hang out on the island with the crazed murderer." So they just hang out there until all but two of them are dead, and then they're like, "Well, I guess the boat works now." <laughs> so they get on the boat. And, it, like, when you say, again, talking about a gaff at the end, I just thought you meant the fact that they climb onto this boat, which is kind of out in shallow water. They then have sex on the boat. <laughs> and then and then they are, then it cuts to, like, close of them having been adrift for many days, apparently, because they're lying down and kind of breathing heavily. Uh, there's no nothing else. They don't look dehydrated or malnourished or anything. The water around them is still clearly... You can see sand. I mean, this is clearly still filmed where they where they got on the boat. And then there's stock footage of a large boat in the distance, and they wave to it, and then it's just the end. And they and seem that's, that's, they seem like happy as clams, like 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 they're yeah, just returning from a honeymoon. Yeah, it's it's just well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they don't even need the guy in the boat. It's just such a a tremendously just like well, better wrap this up. All right. And speaking of that, 
What, you want more nope. porno holocaust action? No, speaking of wrapping things up. Yeah, we probably, we probably should uh, let the cows come home on this one. Uh, I mean, I, again, I could talk porno holocaust for days, and who couldn't? Uh, we, I mean, we could move on to other uh, pornographic favorites of Sean, like Erotic Nights of the Living Dead, or, uh, you know, anything else from this period. Because Lord knows Joe shot about six porns in a row on this beach, so... There's there's a lot of quality material here. I guess the last thing instead of putting something over this week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna plug all of our you know normal stuff that we normally do. Should Sean, the question for you is, what did you learn from watching Joe D'Amato, and would you recommend Joe D'Amato to other people who are interested in horror? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I learned who Joe D'Amato is. I learned a little bit about uh, about. You know this video horror phase. Um, it wasn't bad exposure. Would I would I uh, recommend it? No, absolutely not. It's awful. Uh, I, I I would say though, with the caveat that like if you're looking for schlock to sit around and have a few drinks with with buddies, I I, I really. Although I think Beyond the Darkness passes as like a, a decent enough watch on your own, I, I really wouldn't. Go out of your way for it. That's fair. I think I think everyone should watch some Joe D'Amato. Really, it's it's a it's a slice of life that that you need. That's about it. And also, the question, is, the question really is where do we go from there? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's really Somewhere nowhere else. to go. Is this peak cinema? <laughs> <laughs> I believe it is. I, I will say though, if you are interested in some Joe D'Amato, and uh, somehow our conversations may say, yeah, this is the guy for me. Unfortunately, Porno Holocaust, I think there's like a German DVD release, and you can find some, some not-so-legal versions online in various places. But uh, if you want a great Joe D'Amato fix, Severin's actually put out three Blu-rays in the last year or so. So you can get Absurd, you can get Anthropomorphous, and you can get uh, Beyond the Darkness, all in stunning high definition with a bunch <laughs> of extras and special features. And I mean, if you're going to watch it, that's the way to do it. So uh, I guess, yeah, check out Severin. Uh, I would Myros, like to... Jack, you, you, do, do, uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Cu- Cuffy, you were, you were talking about how you have to go about uh, extra legal uh, uh, means to procure some of this. Sure. I would like... I like the scenario of like uh, being accosted by the law, uh, like the case against stealing Joe D'Amato films that aren't well, on seven. Uh, I have a, I have a backup plan. Getting- My backup plan is simple. If somebody comes for me, if Joe D'Amato tries to slap me with a lawsuit for stealing a uh, Joe D'Amato porno holocaust copy off the internet, then <laughs> the I uh, of Joe D'Amato. Yeah, then then you know what you know what I do? I say, uh, you know, if you guys either drop the lawsuit or I'm sending an email to the NFL with a copy of Absurd on Blu-ray <laughs> right now. <laughs> and you guys are in fucking trouble, so don't fuck with me. That's a that's a great case. Oh, uh, the old Mexican standoff and then <laughs> Uh, so yeah. yeah, I guess uh, Myros, uh, Jack, what do, what do you think? What, what's what's your Joe D'Amato stance here, boys? Uh, uh, for me, I recommend him to a, a very particular person. Uh, yeah, I think you really have to be kind of a, a student to film and also be interested in uh, having some beers and watching some garbage because I am really fascinated by this era of, of Italian horror and horror in general, but. 
and I, I think it's an instructive movement. And but that being said, it, it's tough to watch, and and you have to be game for such things. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I think the Demato cinema is it, it aligns with a lot of other films at the time, but it it suffers in comparison to almost everything else that's made. It just it's it's bad but not in the it, it doesn't have the same kind of quirky badness as some of the other films that time have this is more in line with like the lower tiers of like Umberto Lanzi or Bruno Mattei and still like recycling footage just taking whatever pillaging bits and pieces films that just end immediately because because they ran out of money or time or didn't care it's it's a little too slapdash. You really have to be really into the concept of the fact that these films exist at all. I think, yeah. except for Beyond the Darkness, that's really that that one really is, you know, kind of a, a coherent period horror film. Yeah. It's got its flaws, but it, you know, it works. Absurd is fun because it's just gory as hell and ridiculous. But all of them kind They're of just artifacts. They really, really. yeah, they, they they don't really stand up to. Argento or Fulci, like even Fulci made some terrible films, but they are, to my mind, far more interesting than D'Amato's films. Just immediately, there's just something more going on with them. Even you know, Jess Franco, there, there's always more to grab onto there. Even if, you know, if you were to weigh up the the, the ingredients, they're both bad films. So I don't know. It's it's. I guess this is, this is definitely maybe for down the road if you're exploring Italian horror or really schlocky cinema generally. This is you know watch some other stuff and then if you're still interested, sure, Joe D'Amato, why not? Yeah, Joe D'Amato, why not? <laughs> that's, that's the tagline here. That I quote. certainly <laughs> learned my lesson going into next year's slate. No, we're we're gonna treat you a little bit better next year. So Bruno Mattei, it is. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> you know, if if you enjoyed this podcast, or uh, if you want to hear more from us, you can check us out on iTunes. You can check us out at optimismvaccine.com. You can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. You can email us optimismvaccine at gmail dot com. Sean, where can people find you on the internet to uh, send you gifts from their favorite scenes from Porno Holocaust, particularly the ones involving <laughs> buttholes and flaccid penises? At Mister Glennis. Thank you. That's buttholes and flaccid penises. Uh, Jack, where do we find you on the internet? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Real Jack Eason. That's great. Uh, Myros isn't on the internet, but you can find me at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C U F F. And hey, make sure if you are listening right now that you check out the link in the description of this very podcast and do us a humongous favor. If you care about us on personal or professional level in any way, shape, or form, or if you just want to do me a solid, click the link in the description, go to our iTunes page, give us five stars and a written review. That helps us become more visible on iTunes. The more visible we are, the more content that we can create. And who knows? Maybe we'll double our listenership and they will cry out for more uh, Sean Horror October content. And think of all the wonderful horror directors we can expose you to Sean we do Jez Franco we can do Lumberto Bava uh, you know uh, the aforementioned Bruno Mattei there's there's plenty of people yay <laughs> yay indeed alright that'll wrap things up bye guys bye guys